0: have the privilege and be able to hear from a special guest speaker um, from time to time, we have different folks come in. And yesterday, um, almost four dozen of us, I can't remember exactly, 35 to 40 people got to be here for a workshop on peacemaking. And I am hoping, and Aaron is hoping, we are hoping that it is transformative for us personally and for our church and some of the wonderful principles that we got to hear from a guy named Brian Noble, who I'll be introducing in just a second, who's gonna be here with us. The, the reason why I'm excited about him here this morning is he is not just a guy who comes and does seminars and talks about different topics he is a pastor And I don't know about you, but I want someone who has been through many different issues to speak to me about life issues and to help. And so Brian is able to do that, to bring real life issues. Uh, He he shared with us yesterday that he got into peacemaking originally because of problems in his very first church. And and that's a wonderful experience to, to be able to learn from, to hear about, to grow from. And so we get the privilege of learning and hearing and growing in learning what does it look like to have peace because of the peace that that God has with us through Jesus Christ. And so Brian has not only a, currently a pastor, but has been a pastor for over, I think, 22 years or so. He is a father of four children. And if you have kids, you know that that alone gives you experience in peacemaking. And so we are excited about that too. Brian brings at least 15 years of experience in formally doing this. And in his church being a peacemaking church as well. So um, without further ado, if we can just welcome Brian. Brian Noble, the Executive Director of Peacemaker Ministries. Thanks for being here, Brian. Thank
1: you. Well, it's great to be here today. As Pastor Matt said, I have a wife and four children. So my wife is Tanya Noble. Uh, it's good that we shared the same last name because that would be confusing otherwise. Uh, and we have four kids. Our oldest is 18, and he's Isaiah. He's is a barber, and he just graduated from barber school. Our second child is 16, Isabella. She's special needs. She's never walked or talked. She has a trach and a G-tube in a wheelchair. And uh, so I always say this. I have two wives because usually I have a nurse that's traveling with us wherever we go. And congregations kind of perk up like, what? This guy's got two wives. So, um, and then I have uh, my son Gideon. He's our prankster. He was born on April 1st and he's uh, 14 years old. And he likes to do everything with Christian youth theater and different things like that. He's our actor and into those kind of things. And then Gabriel, he's our little angel from God. Like I'll say, hey, Gabe, clean your bedroom. He's like, it'd be my pleasure to clean my bedroom. I'm like, where does this kid come from? You know? I. I I, he didn't get his mom's DNA or my DNA. He must have come from from God. So um, we, we just we just love him. And, and uh, you know, all the other kids are kind of a little bit jealous of him. How many of you know that if you're like the last kid, you're, you're kind of dearly loved, right, in your family? Like, right? Okay, a few of you. Are like, All the older kids are like... Oh, that 's what happened there so um, but i 'm glad to be here. I have been um, married for about twenty years and i 've been a pastor for about twenty years. Uh, my first church that I took as a senior pastor at the age of twenty six I split the church, and I was just like, yeah, that was, that was my first track record it was just starting out by splitting a church I was like god there 's got to be a better way and so i 'll share a little bit of that story as we as we go today, but God is so faithful to us as we go, and so we 're going to do something today is if you like something I'm saying, you can feel free to say amen. Uh, it's okay. If you don't like something I'm saying, you can say uh-uh. And if you really hate something when I when I say there's the door, you can just go ahead and leave. No, I'm just kidding. I'm playing with you today. But we're going to have fun. We're going to laugh today. We're going to get into God's word today and uh, uh, and just really come into that place where we understand a little bit of how God works in our relationships today. So let's pray and uh, we'll kind of get started. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. And God, I thank you for those uh, that are here today to to hear your word, to be a part of this uh, idea of peacemaking. And Lord, I pray that you will just take and that you will anoint and that you will just cause your Holy Spirit just to flow through this place, transforming us, God. God, I know that in a room this size that there's people that are struggling right now in their marriages, in their workplace relationships, with their kids. And they're just looking for something to do, something that will, that will fix it. And Lord, I pray that you would just come in and that you would uh, just speak to our hearts and you would just transform us. And God, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. God, we ask that you would change us and challenge us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, uh, I'm going to hit a couple scriptures before that, but that's where we're going to end up for the most of our time today. But in Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to start. Have you noticed that there's tension all around us each and every day? How many of you have ever experienced tension in your life? How many ever experienced tension from your wife? Yes. Some are like, no, no, I don't know. How many of you ever experienced, like, you woke up in the morning and you said, hey, today's going to be the best day of my life. And then the first decision that you made, you're like, ah, it was a bad decision. It was like, it's not the best day of my life. You know, you're like that movie Trolls, right? Where everything is rainbows and glitter and everything's great. And it just, it's, have you guys seen Trolls? no okay So okay so we don't watch movies here okay I'll move on no so it's like that that we are in this fairyland of, of everything's gonna go well and then you go to someplace and we have like our our uh, little struggles that we have as Americans you know like we go up and they don't make the right type of Starbucks or we go up and they don't do these kind of things and we have got this pressure and then the kids start arguing and you're just like man, there feels like there's tension in our lives is it is that just me or is that anyone else uh and so we we look at what we're going through in life is that we're fighting and we go through it and we're like how do I how do I fix this have you ever had in your mind where like you you fall in love and then you get married and then you're like did I marry the same person you know it's like when you premarital counseling they come in people come in and they're like hey guess what? I am so in love. I want to marry this person. And you're like, Oh, great. Tell me what some things that's wrong with the person. They're like, I can't think of any I said give me two weeks after your marriage and then come back to me and they go, I got a list there's a lot of things this guy does it just annoys me right and it's because we have these tensions that pull into our hearts into our minds but here's what my fear is for most of us as believers in Jesus Christ there's so many times that in our marriages in our relationships in our friendships where we are not an expression of the gospel we're just merely getting by we're just merely tolerating each other as we go And so we want to talk today about how do we take those negative things in life, how do we take that story that God's weaving into our hearts, into our minds, and create something that glorifies God, that brings the gospel out on a daily basis. Because as we look at the word of God, God has said that you are a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and everything has become new. That he's going to challenge you and change you from the inside out. And if you will begin to understand that, that we have a story that begins to well up in our hearts. When I was a young man, actually a boy, my parents got divorced at the age of six years of age, when I was six. And I can uh, think back of that time where a lot of my childhood was very um, much a blur. I had a, a, a father that oftentimes struggled with jealousy. He, he would struggle with how does he interact. And, and my dad was kind of like the football uh, you know, jock kind of guy. And then he had me. Like, the, only thing, the only time I went to state was in the band, right? You know, it's like I was a band geek. I, like, you know, I had all these kind of things where I just didn't measure up to what my dad wanted. And I can remember at the age of 12 years of age, just starting to think, man, I just hate life. It's just like, it wasn't wasn't a fun time growing up. And at age 18, by that time, I had developed an alcohol problem where it was just very severe. It was just like, man, there's tension building into my heart, into my mind. And I was like, God, if you're real, will you show yourself to me? And I can remember God just showing up in my life and and, uh, uh, confessing Jesus as my Lord and Savior and being baptized and him transforming me from the inside out. But guess what? There's something that happened. I had these thoughts that would just roll around in my mind about my dad. Yeah, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Those thoughts just coming into your mind like, what do I do? Because... I had 20 some years or 18 some years of negative experiences with my dad. How do I, how do I change those thoughts and how do I view my dad in a different light? Got married and I thought, you know, these things are just going to be great, right? So I entered into being a, a youth pastor. We uh, went to a small church in Deer Park, Washington. How many of you ever been to Deer Park? Oh, it's just like a town of 800 people. So it's really, really small. And I, I was in Deer Park, Washington and, and uh, started uh, teaching uh, and, and preaching. And I can remember that after a few, um, uh, about a year, I was, I was praying one night. I said, Lord, why did you send me to Deer Park for four kids? You know, there's these four kids in my youth ministry. Why would you send me here? And if you ever had the Holy Spirit speak to you, he said, Brian, you preach your words and not my word. And these thoughts just kept going around in my head. How do I change it? Now, there was this lady named Tammy Glubrick. She, she, came, she had four teenage kids, and she began to say, I went up to her, I said, why don't you bring your kids to youth? And she said, because you don't preach the word of God. That's what she said to me. And I said, okay, so we went out and I I tried to figure out, I said, well, help me understand this. And in that teachable moment, God began to put a burden in my heart. But there was these thoughts that would just keep rolling around in my head over and over. Does anyone have those kind of thoughts or that story that just kind of keeps swirling around in your head? And you're like, what do I do with that? So then at the age of 26, I became a lead pastor because our youth ministry went from four kids to about 150 kids. Now you have to understand, that's the bulk of all the high school coming to our youth ministry. It was amazing growth in a small little community. And so what happens? The opposite begins to happen, right? Where pride comes in. So I, I take over this church at 26, and I'm going to fix the world. I'm going to fix the church. It's all going to be good. And my arrogance and my pride divided the church. And these thoughts just kept rolling through my head. And I was like, hey, how is this going to work? And so then, and so then I, I was actually listening to the HB London. Used to have a thing called Pastor to Pastor. And uh, it, it's just a little recording on Tape cassettes, remember those? I don't know if you remember what those are. Those are like they have these little wheels and they spin. There was a tape, and so I was listening to that, and uh, and uh, our founder of Peacemaker Ministries, Ken Sandy, was on there doing an interview, and um, I listened to that, and I was like, man, there's a better way to take care of life, to have relationships, and so I, I started studying how do we have peacemaking? How do we how do we walk in this newness of life? And God began to show me a process of how do we change our thoughts. There's, there's, a, there's a truth about us. Is that the Bible says this. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Look at the person next to you and say because Jesus is in you. You are a peacemaker. Go ahead. Try it again. You got to do a little bit louder than that. That was. Uh, <laughs> try it again. Come on. There we go. So as we go through this sermon today, I want you to know that you are a child of God and that God calls you a peacemaker, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. The Prince of Peace dwells in you through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace and he's dwelling in your heart and in your mind and therefore you have the ability to walk in peace wherever you go. But a lot of it has to do with our thinking and how we take our thoughts captive to the obedience to Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about the context of, of your life and what drives you to be the best husband or wife that you may be. What drives you to be the best employee or church member that you are. That God will begin to do something in your life that he will create this healthy tension so that you understand the gospel in a deeper and more intimate way. And so that's what we're going to look at today. How do we transform our lives? In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says there, this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He says, I want to urge you. I want to give you something to do. I want to encourage you. That you will present your bodies as a sacrifice unto God. That you will present yourself as holy unto God. And then he says this, and do not be conformed to this world. Have you ever thought about what conformity does? How it begins to shape us and mold us. Like I, I went through a time in my life where I was listening to talk radio all the time. And I was wondering why I was all ticked off all the time. Right, And the Lord just said, shut off talk radio because that's why you're ticked off because they're all ticked off. You're being conformed to this thing of this world. And so there had to be something that would come into my life where we begin to say, well, wait a minute. I don't want to be conformed to this world. But look at this next part. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, our past experiences can try to conform us. Our past experiences can try to come in and surround us and take control of us. But you can be a person who is transformed by telling yourself a new story, by telling yourself, by renewing your mind, by telling yourself a God story. See, with my father's relationship, his voice would always play over and over and over in my head. That I didn't, I didn't measure up to something. And this is why I want you to know about this real quick. It's like 21 years ago, my dad and I forgave each other. And we have a, we have a great relationship now. But I'm just kind of going back in time to show you how those things can, can be in our minds and, and, and shape us. But it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Did you know that the renewing of our mind, we have pathways in our brain that begin to set up, that, that they kind of, they begin to function. And our, our, our brain is moldable, it's shapeable, that we can be, actually renew the mind. It's something that could come in and, and begin to be reshaped. Have you ever wondered like what, why things trigger you in, in your conflicts, in your, in your marriage, or why things set you off uh, when, when you're doing things? Like the other day, I was, I was driving down the road. Now, where, where I'm from, we don't honk, right? Because honking is kind of like, it's, we, it's just not a polite thing to do in the West. We just don't honk. But when you're in other areas of the world, do you know that people use their horn as like a communication device? Like, if you're in New York, it's like, hey, how are you? (laughs) Right? I love you. Right? That's the honk, honk, honk. But there's another honk. They just, ah, you know, it's like, oh, you made a mistake. And I don't know if you ever had that. But I was driving down the road, and I I can't remember what what city I was in. But there was a, I, I thought I had a free left, Right? I didn't have a free left. It was like this light, but it was like, I was in this turn lane, but it really wasn't a turn lane. So I turned and this other car did the, like this to me, you know, and I was like, oh, I could tell myself one or two stories. They hate me or they love me. And I was like, they must love me. This must love me. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to chase him down and tell him I love him and give him a big hug and, and let him know that. No, no, no. But we have to tell ourselves a story. We have to tell how what we want to think about what the person said to us. I was just trying to figure it out what, what I did wrong. Because let me tell you something. When you drive rental cars all the time, you look like you're part of that area, but you really have no clue where you're going. Right? You're just kind of doing it by the Braille system. You're just trying to make it through it, right? Trying to get there. But we have to transform our mind. See, you can tell yourself whatever story you want. You can tell a flesh story to your brain or a God story to your brain. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So why? So that you will prove, and that word prove there is the word dakimatsu, which means that you will have active action coming in so that you'll have evidence flowing out of your life that you are a disciple of God. You'll prove the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I want you to think about this. God asks us to transform our minds. And we do this do this right here. Through the word of God. That's why you like your daily devotions are so important. This is what will shape and transform your mind. Now, some of us, unfortunately, because of, I think, good intentions, uh, I, you know, people have tried to force us to read the Word of God or feel guilty if we didn't read like five chapters a day or, you know, some, 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 thing, some legalistic kind of thing. I'll just tell you, if you'll just pick up the Word of God, and even if it's John 3.16... And you just remind yourself, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Your mind will begin to be transformed. Because you can believe a God story about you or you can believe a flesh story about you. When you look at your spouse, when you look at the friends around you, you can believe the God story about them. Or you can believe the flesh story about them. So we're gonna look at this biblical principle of how do we transform our mind. And in this application we're gonna do this one thing. In Romans chapter 12 verse nine it says this, let love be without hypocrisy, abhorred what is evil, but cling to what is good. In the ESV it says it this way, let love be genuine, abhorred what is evil, but hold fast to what is good. Let love be sincere, this is NIV, hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. I can tell you my marriage, my first four years of marriage were hell on earth. They were, it's like, it was like horrible. From year four to about year seven or eight, I was like in purgatory, which I don't even believe in, but I was in it, right? And from, from year about eight or so to about year 12 we became friends and from 12 to like years to like now 20 we became lovers it's just I don't know how that works but the first four years were just very difficult um uh uh, for my wife and I now I have met couples who say we've never fought and I'm like well good for you (laughs) isn't that just precious you see what I'm saying? Like, that wasn't my experience. Now, try being a pastor and, and, and having this experience, right? Try, try sh- saying that you're supposed to teach people about their lives and what they're supposed to do, and yet you have all this tension and conflict at home. I, I shared this story yesterday, but one of, the, one of the stories I love to tell was uh, my wife had just cooked a beautiful dinner, and we're sitting on the couch, and she looks over to me, and she says, hey. And, you know, for a guy, when, a, when your wife says, hey, I'm thinking, hey, you know, and so she's like, no, no, no. Hey, the dishes. I'm like, hey, the dishes. I'm thinking something else. And she's thinking, hey, you gotta go do the dishes. I said to her, I looked at her, I said, this is what I said. And if you're, if you're thinking about ever getting married, write this down. This is what not to do. I looked at her and I said, hey, the woman does the dishes in our home. It got really quiet for about two seconds. She says, excuse me. I said, This is where your this is where stupid does the you know stupid goes. I said it again. The woman in my house does the dishes, and she said, "No, not where I was raised. Whoever doesn't cook the dinner does the dishes." I'm like, "Excuse me," and so we started going into this what we call Christian discussion, (laughs) right? That's a fight, going back and forth, just verbally saying, hey, hey, no, 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 and This is why I had this position. I had this position because growing up, I did the dishes wrong. And my mom, because she felt guilty about the divorce and everything else, she just didn't have us kids do anything. She just said, I will do the dishes. You guys just go play. So from that, I formed a, a desire in my heart that was so strong that that's just what I experienced. My wife, on the other hand, had, had this idea that, that whoever didn't do, uh, cook did the dishes, and that's how they did it in their family. Well, these two world cultures from all across the universe came together on that couch in Deer Park, Washington, collided, and we had a Christian discussion. <laughs> See, and some of you are sitting there, like the husband's like, bro, I'm going to kill you. I had my wife convinced that the wife does the dishes, Right? See, what am I saying to you is that I started seeing my wife through these first four years through this lens, and I thought, does she love me? Because my mom showed love by doing the dishes. And then the next thing happened. We got in the car together. Now, if you're newlywed and you drive together, it can be really, really difficult. We, uh, we actually found out later that my wife needs glasses. This is a true story. <laughs> this is a true story. That's why she was driving so close to people. But anyways... Uh, she needed glasses but so we get into these discussions again in the car right and I was like man she doesn't respect me and so I was asking the question does she love me I'd go back to that over and over does she love me does she care for me and my mind would just be I started holding on to or clinging on to those things that weren't good about my wife and she did the same thing this guy's demanding he's rude he's obnoxious she started holding on to those things and so our first four years were just like a tug-of-war back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth and I was like Lord how do I fix this because this is not what I thought marriage was gonna be like how do I transform this into something something new and I can remember the day that I said I'm gonna stop trying to decide whether Tanya loves me or not and just begin to proclaim, she loves me. I also started doing the dishes too, by the way. But no, I'm just kidding. Uh. <laughs> but what I'm saying to you is, I had to come to the place where I started transforming my thinking and holding on to what is good. It will transform you. And we're gonna show you two people in the Bible that this is exactly what, uh, what God encouraged Um, or Paul encouraged um, them to do. So go to Philippians chapter four and let's look at verse one. Therefore my beloved brethren whom I long to see my joy and crown in this way stand firm in the Lord my beloved. He says I urge Iodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now first off if you had those two names, Iodia and Sintiki you're like, what? Those are, those are great names, right? But I urge you, Iodia and Sintiki to live in harmony in, in the Lord. So we, we see that these two women are not living in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companions, I ask you also to help women who have shared my struggling in the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. So he's telling them, hey, I want you to do something. I want you to help these two women to live in harmony in the things of God. That we would begin to understand that what, what, they're, what they're going through. And, and he's going to give them some very practical steps of how to transform their mind. So they can begin to hold on to what is good. And he says this. Rejoice in the Lord Always. And again, I say rejoice. I want you to think about this for a moment. Notice that when he starts out, he doesn't say, uh, he doesn't say you know what, have a, have a discussion and fit, sit down and try to figure this out. He says, I want you to start out with rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He wanted to see that their minds were transformed by rejoicing in the things of God, by rejoicing in this new story. Now, if you're upset at someone and and, and you're frustrated with them, to rejoice in the Lord always is very difficult, right? Because usually all you're seeing is what's wrong with them. But when you begin to look at this and you say, you know what, and Sentiki, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rejoice. I don't want you to rejoice in the other person's fallenness. I want you to begin to rejoice in the Lord. So I'll have couples come into my office and they'll sit down and they'll say, I'll say, Tell me your story. And they'll start telling me their story and I'll be listening. And I'll say, What's one thing that you can rejoice over your spouse over? And I've had couples do this, they can't think of anything. But they're trying to see it in themselves instead of seeing it in the things of God. You see what I'm saying? Like when you rejoice in the Lord, you're seeing it as the Lord sees it. You're seeing it as what God sees it. I I could then look at Tanya and say, Tanya, I am so glad that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. I rejoice that you've placed your hope and trust in him. I rejoice that that God cares for you. I'm rejoicing in the Lord, not in her fallenness or my fallenness, but rejoicing in the things of God. See, you start telling yourself a new story. You start telling yourself this story that says, I'm going to have a mind of rejoicing. Now, why do you think he says rejoice twice? And again, I say rejoice. Because we're human, right? We'll forget the first rejoice. Have you ever noticed that? The other day, I was at this car, uh, at this uh, thrifty car rental place, and I I wasn't in a rejoicing mood because I have what's called blue chip. I rec- we were at cars every week and so I like to go right through the line, right through the line. And so I say to the guy, but for whatever reason, thrifty never gets it right and I always have to stand there. They have to ask me a million questions. I don't want to be asked a million questions. I, I'm a peacemaker and I'm impatient sometimes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I'm standing there and and, uh, and I say to the guy, you know, hey, I have blue chip. Can I just go right through? And he goes, uh, no, it didn't, I didn't load up right. And he's pushing all these buttons. And I'm standing there going, oh, you know. And he can see that I'm getting impatient. And so I say, hey, you know, I'm, I, I have this blue chip so I can just walk through. I, I'm really thinking about switching over to, uh, to another company. And he goes, you know, I'm really thinking that might be good for you. That's what he said to me. <laughs> and I thought, well. I give him that one you know because here I am complaining to him and like it's not his fault it wasn't loaded up right I mean he's not the one who miskeyed it and I'm complaining to him I thought what a, what a, what a bad example I was in that moment why could I have just rejoice and just said hey thank you for fixing this for me see and thank you for helping me get through this now I feel like there's some self-justifying thing that I can say but it's all the story that you tell yourself it's all the story that you believe about what God is saying into your life. And so what was I saying in that moment? I was saying that my time is more important than your time that I, to this guy. I was saying to him that I have places to go and people to see and, and you're inconveniencing me. Or I could have said, you know what, this is a divine appointment by God and I rejoice that I can stand here and, and we can figure this out together so that we can, we can have this type of relationship. See, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say Rejoice. Look at this next verse. He's telling Iodia and let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. When people experience you, do they experience gentleness or something else? Did you know in Psalms, I think it's 18, it says, uh, David says, your gentleness, O God, has made me great. Did you know in Romans it says, and it's your kindness, Lord, that brings me to repentance. Sometimes with my kids, it's my volume that brings them to repentance, right? It's my demanding that brings them into this place of surrender. And yet, here it says, let your gentle spirit be made known to all, the Lord is new, you may be extremely frustrated with your spouse. You may be extremely frustrated in your workplace. Whatever you're going through, I want you to know that you can tell yourself a new story. You can say, Lord, you are my gentleness. Your gentleness, oh Lord, makes me great. God, that you are with me through this. God, that you're going to go before me with this. You are near me in this moment. Because how many of us know that in the midst of our conflict, we oftentimes feel like we're on a deserted island. We feel all alone. I, I'm really happy, to, like I've been talking to many of you, and, and it seems like you guys have a higher, like you, so a lot of you have four kids or five kids or whatever, you know, that's really awesome because where I live, you, it's really like kind of looked down upon, you know, like we'll be at Walmart, right? And I, we have our daughter in our wheelchair, and we all have three kids, and people will look out over at us and like, man, you got your hands full. You know, they'll say stuff like that to you. And I just like, I want to look at them and say, wow, you're very large. But I don't say those things. I just, I, I, but I think these things, right? And so, should I not, am I too, am I too revealing? Is that, is that okay? So I, I think these things, like when people say that, because gentleness is not my initial response typically. How many of you, how many of you like are just gentle typically, but I've learned that you know, when you're when you're a pastor, you just can't do those things. You can't say those things at times, right? And so, when you think about this, we need to have a heart as a Christian that we begin to say, "Lord, I want to be so gentle that when people are around me, they hear about, uh, they see who you are, God. They know who you are. That the Lord is near. See, we could tell ourselves a different story. Lord, make me gentle." God, you are near. Look at this, in Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your heart, let your request be made known to God. Have you been anxious in your relationships before? Look at that. We all have at times. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. What I find is that many times um, believers in Jesus Christ, we believe in in what God wants to do in our lives. But sometimes when we get praying, we're actually praying against ourselves. We're praying, God, will you do this to this, this? Like, For instance, uh, uh, I, I've had people say, will you pray that my... Uh, my son will get saved. You pray that my son will get saved. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I'm not going to pray that. And they look at me like, why won't you pray that? I said, so if I pray this, Lord, I, I pray that you'll save Joey. What am I asking God to do? He's already died on the cross. He's already rose again for Joey. The Bible says that he's already drawing Joey with the Holy Spirit I'm praying against myself. It's already happened. The work's done. But if I say this, Lord, I thank you that you are drawing holy, uh, you're drawing Joey to the the cross. Lord, I thank you that you died for Joey, that you rose again for Joey. Lord, I thank you that you're going to set Joey upon the rock. Now I'm praying in concert area in harmony with the things of God. See, thankfulness will get you aligned with God because it will release your faith that you'll begin to pray God, we, do that God will do something in your life, in their life. Instead of saying, God, will you do this or not do that? It's like you're trying to command God to do something. Instead, you begin to thank him. You say, God, I thank you that my marriage is going to be set upon the rock of Christ Jesus, that the, the, there are better days ahead of us than there are behind us. God, I thank you that you go before us in all things. God, I thank you that you are mending and healing this marriage are you hearing me this morning because God is a God that has already done the work through his son Jesus Christ so we're not going to ask him to redo the work that he's already done we're going to thank him that it is finished at the cross of Christ Jesus be thankful in your prayer that you begin to see God at work and your mind will begin to transform because you won't serve the God that doesn't you will serve the God that's already done it have you ever had a prayer request before God that just goes unanswered, it seems? I shared yesterday a little bit about my daughter, Isabella. She has Rett syndrome, R E T T, Rett syndrome. And she's never walked or talked. And so we we used to spend about an hour a day uh, feeding each one of her meals. She she used to be able to eat. Then we went in for scoliosis surgery and she lost all of her ability to eat. It went from like bad to worse, right? And we were in the ICU for a number of months. And I can remember praying, God, will you just touch her? Will you just heal her? Will you just go before her? And as I reflect on that, I was thinking about what, God, what would you have me to do in this? What kind of voice can we have about, about who you are? And sometimes God doesn't seem to answer prayers. In fact, we, we, uh, we would have people who would want to come down and pray for her. And every time they would come down and pray, there was just this heaviness that would come over our hearts and our minds. like, once again, God didn't do something. I remember having this picture. This picture was this. We're not in heaven yet. Why do I expect heaven on earth when the reality is heaven is heaven and earth is earth? We're still under the fallenness of this world. And so instead of saying, God, why won't you do something? I started praying, God, I thank you. I thank you that whether it's now or then, I thank you that one day my daughter will walk. I thank you that one day my daughter will talk. I thank you that the trach and the G-tube and all that will be removed and in your presence she will twirl around and she will just love you. God, I thank you that you have set our family. I mean, do you see how it just begins to change who you are? Your thinking begins to change. Your perspective begins to change when you begin to thank God for what he is doing versus looking at what you think he seemingly is not doing. You begin to thank him and say, Lord, I thank you that this relationship is going to be restored. God, I thank you that I will have more days with my spouse, whole and complete than incomplete here on earth. God, I thank you that my children are going to walk with you and know you as, they, as the scripture wells up into their hearts and into their minds. we got to hold on to these type of things where we're thankful in the sight of God. And look at this in verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, when you rejoice, you rejoice. When you're gentle, when you uh, acknowledge God's presence and you're thankful, the peace of God, which co- comprehends, uh, surpasses all comprehension, will guard your mind and your heart. And he doesn't stop there. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is of pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellent and worthy of praise, dwell or think on these things. Notice the list. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is right, I want you to dwell or I want you to think on these things. I I used to have a board member who would always say, you know what, I'm just going to play the devil's advocate here for a minute. He would say this to me. He's, He's dead and he's in heaven and uh, his name's Bill and he was just gonna play the devil's advocate at every meeting that we had and I looked at him one day and I said you know what I don't think we need a devil's advocate anymore we move like a Jesus advocate it got really quiet in the board meeting right but but Bill sometimes just wanted to see all the things that that were wrong instead of saying what is true about this situation what is honorable about this situation and holding on to those things What is right about those situations? What is pure about them? What is lovely? I can guarantee that if you were to hold on to these things in your marriage and your relationships, that you would begin to understand that God is transforming your mind from the inside out because you will no longer see people through their fallenness. You would begin to see people through the redemption of Jesus Christ. How are you viewing the people around you? What is lovely? So when I do, when I do uh, marital counseling, I'll say, what's true about your spouse? They're like, oh, let me tell you what's true. And then I'm like, no, 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 not your truth. What's God's truth about them? So look at your, the person next to you and tell them one God truth about them. Try it out. Just turn to the person next to you and say, this is what's true about you from God's perspective. Can, what's honorable about them? Tell them something that's honorable. About them turn to the if there's like three of you you're gonna have to do twice here you have to work twice as hard what's honorable about them from God's perspective what is honorable about them see I am convinced that so many times as parents we always are telling our kids what is wrong about them instead of what is right about them and I'm not talking about positive thinking I'm talking about biblical proclamation today there's a big difference Biblical proclamation is saying this is how God sees you. That you are a child of God that, you are God. that you've been set apart. You've been bought with a price. That God loves you. And so you begin to say what's right about them. You begin to proclaim the good things over them. What God wants to do in, in their hearts and in their minds. What is, whatever is pure. He says dwell on these things. Think on these things. Did you know in 1 John it says that uh, actually, I'm going to turn there. I want to make sure I get it exactly right. First John. Chapter 3. Verse 3. And everyone who has his hope fixed on Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. Look at that. And everyone who has his hope fixed on Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. Some say, wait a minute. But I know the things that I do. Some of the things, some of the things, I've, thoughts that I've had. Some of the things that go on in my mind. I'm not pure. I'm not able to walk in that purity. And I want to ask you, am I going to believe your thought or God's word? God's word says that if our hope is fixed on Jesus, then you are pure just as Jesus is pure. That's the truth that you need to dwell on. And you say, well, wait, wait, what about that thought that comes in that draws me towards impurity? What's that thought that comes in that tries to entice me and entangle me? I want you to know, you say something to that thought really quick. You say, hey, in the name of Jesus, get behind me. I'm pure because Jesus has made me pure. See, it's the authority that you have where you set your mind, where you set your thinking, and you begin to understand that God has come into this life not just to kind of conform you or reshape you, He's come here to transform you from the inside out. You're totally a new creation because of Jesus Christ. You are brand new, and when He says that you're pure, you're pure. When He says you are free, you're free. When He says that you are a new creation, you're a new creation. You say, yeah, 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 but I, I know what I've gone through. I know what I've done. I know what I've. I don't care about those things. I care what God has to say to you. Are you hearing me, church? I'm here to tell you that if you want to live a new creation, understand this you are new. You say, I don't feel new. I didn't ask you how you feel, I don't care. I'm asking you what God says about you. It's the authority that you have in Scripture. This is why uh, most of us as Christians struggle. It's because we have our inner flesh, our mind, our will, and our emotions, our desires that are at battle within us. And we say, every desire comes my way. I had the desire. I have to go do it. If you live that way, you will never live a holy life unto God. Because you can have crazy desires flow through you. Has anyone ever had those? It's just me. All right, it happens in the West. I don't know. It doesn't happen on the East side, I guess. But in the West, sometimes there's crazy desires, and what you have to do is you have to stand and put your mind on the things of God. Where you say, "In the name of Jesus, desire. Get behind me. I am not going to be controlled by that desire any longer." I had, a, I had this lady come up to me once. She says, I'm, I'm struggling with my thoughts. I don't know what to do. And I said, well, come in. We'll have some biblical counseling. We'll talk about it. So she came in and she says, I'm just consumed by anxiety. And she's telling me all this kind of stuff. And I'm listening to her. And, and as she tells me, I said, what we're going to do is we're going to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. She's like, okay, so what does that mean? I said, well, you're going to have a thought or a desire or an emotion come in. And you're just going to hold on to that. And you say, in the name of Jesus, I want it to align with God's word. I'm gonna believe what God's word says about me. So I saw her the next Sunday. She comes up to me, she says, it doesn't work. I said, excuse me? Cause I wasn't in, in my mind. Cause you know, that Bible verse she gave me doesn't work. I said, it doesn't work. She goes, yeah, I took every thought captive, but just like moments later, the thoughts came back. Oh, I said, oh, sweetie, you're gonna have to do that like a million times throughout the day. She says, excuse me? <laughs> I said, you're gonna have to do that a whole bunch. Until you get practice, where your thoughts are now God's thoughts, right? You've been letting anxiety ram- run rampant through your life, and now you're, you're thinking, "I just do it once, and then it's it's all good." But you're going to have to keep doing it. The enemy's going to fight you on this. She says, "Oh, that's a lot of work." I said, you bet you, because we're in a spiritual battle for our souls. We're, we're in this battle that's going on and on. I said, so here's what I want you to do. I want you just to start taking thoughts captive. Now, this was about a year ago, and so she came up to me, she's like, we we're talking, I like, like, how are your thoughts? She says, you know, it started out, I had to do it like a thousand times in a day, then it became like 500 times in a day. I mean, she's just kind of making up numbers. What she's saying, it started going down as God's thoughts became my thoughts. And she says, yeah, it's okay. It's occasionally I have things, that come into my mind, but it's not controlling me like it used to, because why? She began to believe the things that God said about her. And God has said here, whatever is pure, hold on to those things. I I think one of the things that we forget as husband and wife is to flirt with our spouse. One of the greatest things I've ever said to Tanya, I do it all the time, I say, hey honey, you're my best friend. The other day, this guy was reading my text on the plane. This is horrible. He's reading my, t- you know how someone's watching you? You know, you can tell. So I just thought, I'll make it a little juicy. I say, hey lover, I love you. And he's like. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife's like, wink, wink, you know, back at me. But anyways. Um, whatever is lovely. Dwell on those things. Tell your mind those things. You can see what's wrong about the other person. But if you begin to dwell on whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute or ethical, you begin to understand this is where your mind needs to dwell. This is where you set it. Whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, that you begin to think on those things. And look at this promise that comes up again. He says, when you dwell on these things, the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Are you noticing this? Like in verse 9 and then in verse 7, it talks about the God of peace, the peace of God. We say, how do we experience it? We don't experience it by letting our minds just run rapid. We experience it by telling ourselves a God story. Now, some of us may say, well, if I do that, then how do I ever I get better at something? If, I, if I've struggled with something, do I ever be real about it? Do I just fake it until I make it? And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about faking it until you make it. What I'm saying is you remind yourself when you stumble and fall that Jesus Christ died for that stumbling that you are a new creation. I'm telling yourself to be exactly real. I'm just saying this. Don't only focus on the things that you're not supposed to do. Begin to focus on the things that God has called you to do. We live in the most exciting life as believers in Jesus Christ. And in that life we have have abundance of joy to walk in the things of God. So many of us Christians look like we just drank prune juice and got up, you know, woke up or something. I don't know. Christianity is fun, it's exciting because we experience true life and true joy through Jesus. Cling or hold on to those things. I met with this couple. They sat down in my office. They hadn't talked to each other for about, I think it was seven or eight months. They lived in the same house, different bedrooms, hadn't talked for seven or eight months. They, uh, they had contacted me, actually, about four month, three months before that. And we scheduled an appointment, and then they canceled. So then they have three more months of silence, right? And so they came in, and I said, hey, what's going on? Tell me your story. So they started telling me the story. For two hours, he told me his story. For two hours, she told me her story. We listened. And they just went on and on and on about the things of the other person that were wrong. Two hours of it, each of them. And I looked at him, I said, wow, things have been tough, yeah. I said, well, let's just stop the story for just a second. I said, how does God see your wife? He's like, excuse me? I said, what are some things that God says about your wife? She's like I mean, he's like, uh, "I don't know. I guess she's one of the, his kids." I said, "Why don't you tell her that?" He looked over and he's like, you're, "You're God's kid." I'm like, "Why don't you mean it?" You're, you're God's ch- child." I said, "What is your?" I said to her, "What does God say about your husband?" So he, she said, uh, well, that he loves you. God loves you. I said, good. I said, tomorrow what we're going to do is, you've told me all the things that are wrong about your spouse. Tomorrow we're going to come together, and you're going to tell me all the things that are wrong about you. And for 13 hours, they asked each other for forgiveness. 13 hours. I'm not kidding. Like, I got so bored of the conversation. I'm not, I'm not lying, I'm like, about hour four or five, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go to another office, I just gotta get some work done, but you guys keep going, right, and so I go into the other office, and they're just working away, they're saying, honey, will you forgive me, this is the log in my eye, with well, this is the log in my eye, and they're doing, they're doing this, and they're going back and forth, and they're just talking, talking, I'm like, you guys need lunch, so I brought lunch in for them, they ate lunch, and, and then, and then we went off, and it was like dinner time, and so anyways, and so we, we kept going, and uh, this last week I saw them at church holding hands, arms wrapped around each other. It was kind of sick, you know, like they needed to get a room or something. No, I'm just kidding. But, but they're back in love. And what was it? They started telling themselves a new story. They had two hours each of just telling this story that the, I call it the devil story, right? Over and over. Everything that's wrong with them, the other person. And then they started taking the log out of their own eye and they started telling themselves a God story. Where they started saying, listen, there's hope. There's forgiveness. There's newness of life. Something's can change. And today, I, my hope is that as we, as we uh, kind of co- bring this to a close, my hope is this, that whether it's your marriage, your friendship, whatever it might be, that you begin to tell yourself a God story. That you'll begin to look in the scriptures and say, this is what God has to say about me. This is who I am as a child of God. This is who who my spouse is or the person around me is. This is what's worthy of praise and excellent and ethical and lovely and pure. This is what's right and honorable and true about them. You begin to think on those things. And I guarantee this, the God of peace will flow into your mind, into your heart. He'll touch you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these group of individuals in front of me today, God. God, it's sometimes very difficult to know like, what each person's going through or what they may be trying to, to work through right now, the discouragement that they're in. But God, today we remind ourselves that we are your children. God, we remind ourselves that you have set us apart for your glory, God. God, we remind ourselves that your blood has covered all of our sin, God. Lord, instead of seeing through the lenses of what's wrong with someone else today, God, we're going to begin to look at them through the cross. Lord, I pray that you would just take this church, God, and that you would provide just abundance of relationship, that you will provide abundance of the gospel to flow out of this place, that people will see that these are people that forgive each other, that people will see that these are people that do not necessarily just hold on to personal preferences, but they really hold on to the cross of Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would just use this church for your glory, for your ways, oh God. That people will understand that you are with us, God. That you go before us in all things, God. And that your spirit surrounds us, Lord. For those who may be on the verge of divorce today, God, I pray for a new story. A God story to flow into their minds and into their hearts. That they would begin to see their spouse as one of your children, God. For those who have a boss that is just annoying them or maybe employees that are annoying them, I pray that they will begin to see them as children of God, that they will begin to see people as new in Christ Jesus. And if that other person hasn't made that commitment to Christ, God, I pray that they will bring uh, the gospel to them with hope, God. God, I thank you. I thank you for each person here today. Will
0: you strengthen us as we go? In Jesus' name, amen.